UK Motor Talk. Well, hi everyone, we're back again, and it's Mike Gates, and it's Jim. Good evening. Good Hello. afternoon. Good Hello. morning. Yeah, or oh, wherever you're listening to us. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you to all those of you who wrote in. Um, unfortunately, no, I'm not going to do any beatboxing. No, I'm not interested in a loan, and thank you. Uh, you know who you are. confused this week, though, because it's our, our normal sort of podcasting time, and it's still daylight outside, which is very peculiar. But it's nice. I like it. Yeah. I mean, that, that is something. It's beautiful. At the moment, we can see outside a bit of sun just setting over the, uh, over the sea, which is, which is nice, because obviously where we are at UK Motor Talk Towers, we have a view of more than just a chimney pot, which is good. What, from, from behind our fort of um, filing we, boxes, we are et cetera, moving, that we We are moving boxes about because we're putting some stuff into storage because we have many, many things we've written down that we need to keep, apparently. So they are going, uh, going down a set of stairs to go up a set of stairs to a room which is directly next door to the room we're currently in, near enough. Well, yeah, we, we didn't build that bit very well, could we? We could have just put a, door in. put a doorway through. That would have been easier. Yes. Anyway, in otherwise exciting news, we've got to move some boxes. I, I bet you're pleased to hear about that, but there we go. What it does mean, though, is two things. Firstly, we must be approaching the end of our 40 days and 40 nights of just constant rain. Uh, it's been great for my garden, though. Ever since I had the turf laid, it's rained every day since, but that was last October I had it done. Yeah, some, some people in, in different parts of the country, if you're listening in the UK, of course, not been so great for their garden. Or the rest of the house. So if that's no, it's kind of floated away. It has, and if that's you, we we are obviously really sorry to hear that. Do wonder though, because you see, this, obviously, some people get caught in these things, and you see the cars flooded up to their roofs. I guess you just don't see it it coming or something. I mean, because at least with a car, a lot of them you can move them. Uh, yeah, but where do you move it to? That's the. Top of a very if, big hill. If if you've got a multi-story car park nearby, then great. But on very the other cool. hand. I saw an Audi A4 that someone had put on a load of bricks. I don't know if you've seen this floating around on the internet, but there was floating. But can you insert a drum, a drum roll sound there? But they'd, they'd actually got a load of breeze blocks and then jacked the car up about four foot off the ground and then put the car on top. That's priorities. That's good advice. Did it wash away right. in the rain or? No, I mean, I suppose that, to be fair, they've ended up with rivers that burst their banks and all kinds of bits and pieces, and there's been huge. Huge floods of river because you don't need much to wash away a car, do you? It's like six inches for a yeah, no, car no not at all. Well, we had uh, one of the roads just around the corner from us flooded, didn't it? And it was totally it, it cut off a, a bit of climping, didn't it? From oh yes, the main road up and down, and as far as the uh, the two five nine, one one little bit was completely isolated. Yeah, so. a that, few cars a few cars managed to make it through. But. And if you've lost your pride and joy in this, we we do feel sorry for your loss. To be fair, the only car I saw that was totally conked out and, and a write-off and in the middle of it was a Peugeot. So There's no real loss, is it's it? It's OK. It's fine. Unless it's a, you know, a, a classic Peugeot. To be fair, the only Peugeot I honestly like is the 205 GTI, except for the... Cause you, what's the one that you like? Uh, a Rally E, 306 Rally E. Rally E. Or a 106 Rally E. But you'd oh, have to have like four toes amputated so you could press the pedals. That is the problem, isn't it? Why is it? Do, do French people have abnormally small feet? I think so. There's a guy I went to uni with, had a 106, and he used to have to drive it in bare feet. That's mad, isn't it? On the side, of, maybe that's just what it is. You mm. come out from the fields, straight, you know, straight into your, your 106 or whatever. Definitely. Well, if you're playing with the field, what? So if you. If you chopped half your foot off with a plough, then yeah, you're probably well set up to heel yes. and toe, and off you go. But when I say the field, I, I probably mean... Or heel and stump. Vineyards, really. You've been squashing grapes or something, you're straight into the car and away you go. UK Motor Talk, breaking down uh, cultural stereotypes <laughs> one country at a time. And if you're listening in France, I'm sorry. 
just just generally i apologize now for our, our casual stereotyping of your um, great nation so talk, talking of uh, internationalism as we're apparently now an international podcast uh, italy coronavirus etc ferrari's had to close yes which is bad news well, that, if that, was a nice, that was a smooth little link there wasn't it that was good yeah <laughs> I have to admit, not having a Ferrari in order at the moment, it hasn't affected me personally. Uh, no, but I think well, they've taken a very Italian decision of doing things by just telling everybody to stay at home. Yeah. Which is quite a good way of doing it, to be honest. If, if you're going to be on it, just stay at home, it's okay. But this does throw up many, many wider ramifications, and actually it's it's a lot worse than anyone thought. And at first it was a, a bit of a running joke, etc. But because it was at arm's length or the other side of the world, it, it was kind of okay. Mm. It's now obviously affecting a lot of people on holiday. Yep. Italy, Ferrari, uh, Formula One has had to cancel a Grand Prix. Formula E's cancelled an E-Prix. But yep. it's not just China that's in doubt. It's now Vietnam which mm. is going to annoy the hell out of some people that they can't go uh-huh. racing there. Ah, uh, uh, see what you did uh, there? Uh. It's, and it's not actually just sports, because Volvo, because um, obviously they are Geely and everyone else, they have had problems with delays as well. If you've ordered something from Wish, firstly, you might be massively disappointed when it actually arrives. Because, you're going to be disappointed anyway, aren't you? Yeah, because to be honest, you think you're going to look great in it, but possibly you're going to look like someone stuffed a duvet into a bin bag. That's kind of where... Can you get clothes on? Which I've only ever looked at dodgy car parts and then watched YouTube videos where they test those parts to destruction. Yeah. Which, that's quite entertaining. I'm sure there's some brilliant quality things on Wish and there are other... Genuine imitation products, isn't it? Yes. So that's, uh, no, that's, that's an issue, but it's affected the Six Nations rugby. But of course, if mm. Ferrari are on somewhat of a lockdown, does that put Ferrari out of the season opener? The logistics involved, obviously, in an attempt to reduce their carbon footprint, Formula One are shipping a lot more by sea freight than they are by air or anything else. So I think all of the equipment, cars, trucks, bits and pieces like that, lots of bits and pieces are already on their way to China and were well on the way when they cancelled the race. So mm. they've got halfway, they've got to come back, but it's it's all on a rolling system. So what goes out to Australia then gets packed up and shipped to somewhere else and it's all on it might only get used once every four or five races but because it's always in transit on a boat somewhere um so that has a knock-on effect on everything it's it's and it's it's a massive quite a big issue this a massive circus actually isn't it when you go to a proper race event formula one obviously being the biggest but even if it's something like btcc there's still probably going to be a couple of trucks they bring everything to go behind in the garages you have almost like hoarding well, it's, it's everything grows i think if you looked at a picture of the uh, the paddock at brands hatch in the early 80s when f1 was racing there and had to look at a picture of the paddock this year when the touring cars were there they're probably not that dissimilar in the amount of trucks and kit they've got there are they so you could say that again i could try do i need to <laughs> no i think you're right um whether it's pits or paddock it, it does take up a huge amount of space and it just sprawls on and on and on. Uh, and yeah, it, it's a huge undertaking to work out the logistics of these things. And I do wonder whether a lot of this year is just going to be effectively written off because you can't get anywhere or do anything. There are lots of events that have been cancelled. I mean, we've thought long and hard about uh, Geneva this year, haven't we? And we've decided that it, it's too much to risk our... Our, our beautiful bodies. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, certainly, if we ended up staying in the same hotel in inverted commas as we stayed in last time, that that would be that was a very 
high-risk strategy, staying in that hotel. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if we've spoken about this before, but uh, I'm going to speak about it again. So apologies if you listen to our Geneva podcast, because I can't remember. But uh, we flew over to Geneva, and Jim booked the hotels, but he booked them in France because it was cheaper, because anything in Switzerland is a million pounds. No, I, I ran my strategy of booking a cheaper hotel pass to you, and you approved the strategy. So... Okay, so when we turned up to this hotel, having had a £15 Big Mac, fifteen not the weight, but the actual money of it, and a £5 Coca-Cola, because everything is hugely expensive. Yeah, I remember presenting you that can of Coke. like, enjoy this, it was £5 for not even a 330ml, it was a a two fifty, a slender can of Coke. Yeah, so these these are the lengths that we go to to bring you all this fantastic news and the high quality content. I've never been so dehydrated, so we were walking around all day, but I didn't want to spend any money on anything. So So, Jim had booked a hotel in the ghetto in France, basically, and it was called something like the Luxor or Premier. Uh, Premier First Class, Premier Luxury, or something ironic anyway. So we we get into this this tiny cell, uh, because I don't want to say room, and my instant words were, if I get stabbed and killed in the side of my head tonight, I'm going to be so angry with you in the morning. Yes. Because there was a double bed, and then over the top of it, there was a bunk bed facing the other way. I think, did I have the top bunk, just so if somebody no. did come in and murder us, they murdered you first? You made me have the top bunk. Yep. Because you shotgunned the double bed down the bottom. I was like, yeah, it was more comfy. Yeah. Um, it had a dip in the middle, and it was heavily soiled. It stank the room of cigarettes, and then in the corner... They had what can only be described as a portaloo with a shower in it. They must have just but dropped it into the room. Sort of installed in the room, but not really, because no. when you were in there, it moved. And it, it was did. a really weird feeling to have the entire room moving, yes. but you couldn't see it moving. So yeah. I went and used the facilities and came out seasick. It was very peculiar. It was, it was horrible, wasn't it? And then they wanted to charge us £180 for a taxi back to the airport. Something like that. So we, uh, we walked and, and got the bus and didn't pay because we couldn't work out how. But that was OK. But amazingly, and actually the public transport in Switzerland works really well. It was um, fantastic. It was efficient. It was clean. It wasn't full of peasants. because they don't ha- They don't have peasants in Switzerland, do they? So. No, they don't. They just have lots of people wearing very nice watches. That's true. That's yeah. true. And yeah. of course... You I would, like Switzerland. Yeah, you wouldn't buy a watch there and then ship the box back or anything else because of whatever. But no, we didn't do that at all, did no, we? No, nothing like that at all. But, you know, and I certainly wouldn't recommend it because I'm sure it's probably not legal. But anyway, yeah, there's some very, very nice watches. So if you like cars and you want to go to the Geneva Motor Show, the, the manufacturers that are left, and there are lots of people that don't go now because they're too poor, like Ford, for example, didn't go... They've also got lots and lots of, of fantastic shops that sell some absolutely gorgeous watches. And it goes, I think, without saying that a lot of people that like cars also really like watches. So you've got makes like a Mologato, for example, that do sports car and race-related watches. which are Yeah, and they've, they've done very well with their branding, actually, haven't they? And they managed to get the rights to Tifosi, Monza... Yep. And, and quite a few others as, as brand yeah. names for watches, quite legitimately and, and quite yeah. right. But the amount they put back into the motorsport community is really nice because they sponsor drivers and they, they put back in as much, if not more, than they get out. So that's, uh, that's quite nice to see. Mm. Yeah, really good. So, yeah, so there's lots of different watchmakers out there, which is, which is quite interesting. But everything in Switzerland is mm, hugely expensive. So if you go, take a pack lunch. There you go, there's top, a top tip. Definitely, yes. And it's also, inside the motor show, approximately 78 degrees Celsius. It was a, uh, it was a tad warm. It was a, it was, well, it was very well lit as well, wasn't it? And of course, all the stands, they want them to be very well lit so you can see the cars and see what's going on. But 
Mm. Yeah, it, it's great. But yes, we'll, we are not going this year, but next year, uh, maybe we'll, we'll have another look and go. And uh, you can maybe send, we'll start a GoFundMe page for a Big Mac. That's good. Actually, yeah, if, if we could raise 42 chuffs. Yes. 42 Swiss francs. Yep. That would pay for lunch. Yeah, that, that, if, if we can raise 42 Swiss francs, then we'll go. Yes, I don't know. That's, that's not a high target, is it? I'm sure we can manage that. Yeah, that's it. I'll put up a, a picture of a sad panda. For, the, for those of you listening at home or in the car or wherever, there's a, a picture on Gates's uh, office wall, a picture of a panda that looks a bit sad, and it says, I'm a sad panda. What's that about? Well, um, I had to raise a technical query. This is really exciting for you, um, because of, there were some issues with some social bits and pieces I was doing, and I couldn't find something I needed, and it said submit a screenshot and it wouldn't let me submit a screen it wouldn't let me submit the whole complaint issue report or whatever until I'd added a photo to it so I added to the notes I can't take a screenshot of what the issue is so here is a picture of a sad panda and did they accept that they have accepted it fantastic so we're just waiting to, to see what we hear back UK motor talk so what is actually going on at Geneva or as they like to to send to us gims I misread it the first time I thought it said something else. We can uh, read it more quickly. <laughs> yes. Let's face it, we all know what it's going to be now because it's technology, electric... Mobility. Being, yes. Being the buzzword. All Mobility the, solutions. Particularly the, the larger, more well-established manufacturers do seem to be presenting a model aimed at selling fewer cars, which is a bit peculiar. They want to present the subscription model or the ride-sharing, car-sharing rental model rather than uh, an ownership. But I, I suppose that's the way of the world these days, isn't it? There's more people renting houses. You rent your music, you rent your films. You know, you don't buy DVDs anymore. I you do. rent Netflix. Yeah, I know you do. You don't own CDs anymore. I know you do. You you rent a Spotify or an Apple Music. And, uh, I and bought that's Spotify. So... I didn't buy Spotify. You bought a Spotify. You bought Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you rent cars. We've rented cars. You know, PCP and options deals True. have been... Far more popular for years and years and years. So you're only renting the car. Leasing is becoming more popular. You're only renting the car. Uh, PCPs, I think, is a bit different, actually, because I think cars now are more about the technology than they are about the car. Um, and things are moving on really quickly. So you're seeing some interesting technology. I've driven a huge amount of cars which have radar-guided cruise control that works now and various different assist technologies that mostly work. And I wonder, if I buy a car now, like the Audi, for example, which is the current version of, of the, the S3, but there is a new one coming out. And I wonder in two years down the line when the, the PCP's up on it, whether it's going to be worth what they thought it was going to be worth because technology's moved on so much. Are people going to be so attracted to it that actually it devalues some of the cars? And I think if you're buying something brand new now, bearing in mind so many manufacturers offer 0% finance and deposit contributions that basically pay the interest and everything else, why put your own money if you've got it in the bank into a new car because this way in two or three years you either get to hand it back and it's cost you nothing you don't no risk for the depreciation no, it's cost you nothing to lend the money a sensible monthly amount to own the vehicle yeah and you've got the money in the bank even if it's not earning interest it might be there in case you need it or if you decide you do want to buy the next one or whatever you want to do with it hmm. if your boiler breaks you don't need to put it on a credit card no. and pay the interest on a credit card you've got the money and actually I think you know the older stuff that I've got yes that's fine I've bought that and I own it whatever way you want to look at it it's, it's done bought and paid for but with new stuff I think that makes a lot of sense I think it also makes a lot of sense if you're the kind of person that thinks hmm is this technology still going to be working correctly in 8 years time 10 years time however many years time well A, a will it be 
working correctly, as in how it was working when it was brand new. Yeah. But B, will it be working in a way that doesn't feel massively old-fashioned mm. or styling-wise, fashion-wise, looks-wise? Yeah. I think cars go out of date a hell of a lot quicker than they used to. Yeah. And, I think you know, you look at um, a Mark One or a Mark Two Golf, for example, that still, to me, looks very, very pretty, and the vast majority of petrol heads will look at a car like that and appreciate the way it looks. That's yes. not the case, I don't think, with the current Golf. Your Orion, for example, yeah. is classic in its appearance. You can't Hold. fall out with the looks of it, if that makes sense. It's not offensive. It's not... Okay, it's not daring. There's no sweepy, funny curves on it, you know, all, all designed a with a set car, square. is it? No. But it's not an ugly car. No. And that's, that's I think, the difference. Yeah. And very few manufacturers have got that right over the last couple of years. I mean, the, the last odd one that springs to mind was the original KA. Even towards the end of its life, it still looked reasonably fresh it and funky. current, at least, I think. Yes. And I think that's yeah. the same with something like a Mark One Focus. Because although, yes, it, it doesn't look new now, I think it still looks distinct enough that it's interesting. Yeah. And I think it's the same with the Fiat 500. I think that's, again, it's not really changed too much. And the early... BMW Minis, which mm. obviously I'm a fan of, as we know, yeah. but but actually, my car now is 17 years old. It's got a, a private plate on it, so no one really notices. But actually, I don't think it looks 17 years old. No, well, it doesn't look 17 years old in and of itself as a car because it's well well kept up to and looked after. Mm. But you're right, the design doesn't look yeah doesn't look that. Old. I mean, if it looks pretty much like a brand new one, of course. Like the classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fiat If you wish to annoy Mike, then you can write to us and say, "I think the uh, the original BMW Mini looks like a new BMW Mini." The Mini and the Fiat Five Hundred, of course, being both Frank Stevenson designs, like the Escort Cosworth. But going back to cars going out of date, I think where you really notice it is the technology. And if you jump in something that's I don't know, 2005, 2006, that's got sat-nav, for example. Mm. My God, does it feel ancient. I looked at a Porsche the other day, and that was a 911. And on the outside, it looks much like the current 911, because they all look much like the current 911, really. They, they, you know, this evolution, not revolution, and people say, oh, they're really different. But actually, no, they don't. They look relatively similar, and I think because of that, they age relatively well. But the nav inside just made the thing feel properly old, like really old. Yeah, I think uh, BMW are the same with their interiors. If you yeah. look at an E46 3 Series, you can see that the philosophy of the dashboard and the design is still there uh, even in the F30, not so much in the G, uh, G20 shape, but there's that, G20 that Summit. evolution and you can see it. And I think because of that, although it's not dramatic or awe-inspiring or unusual you don't get bored of it, which is, I think, an important thing. Hmm. I wonder if they'll do an off-road version of the G20 called the G20 Summit. That's a great marketing idea. That's it, right. We'll send that, that to BMW. Free. Yeah, there you go, BMW. That one for free for you. Talking of things that are about to go out of date and go out of date very quickly, we've talked about the technology in bits and pieces, and we know that that will probably feel old at some point, but VW, as if they're trying to make a point have made a diesel Golf with 178 extra emissions-reducing technologies that work with the bonnets up or down. 
Um, <laughs> at any speed you like in any gear. Yeah, exactly. And Audi have changed their range of performance S models, not the S3, but the S, whatever it is, S4, 5, 6, whatever, the diesel jobbies. Well, I lost track the other day because I looked at Take something and it was an uh, Audi S3 something or other. Yes. But a crossover. Yes. SUV. Yes. But quite high, but a coupe. It, it confused the living daylights out of me. What the hell this thing was? It was it. It was all the thing. If you name any type of car, if you start naming types of car, yeah, hatchback, coupe, SUV, cross, yeah. it was all of those. Yeah, and sporty, but it had some quite squidgy tires on it. It, a lot it was of boxes. <laughs> all the boxes and too many boxes. It was a, a bit like BMW. You know, they you could buy a coupe. Off-road SUV, the high-riding, smooth... identity crisis. Yes, that's the one. Um, or a bit like Land Rover's convertible off-road yeah. thing. There's only one reason week. why you really need a convertible Land Rover, and that's probably for shooting out the top of. Yes. Um, and whether that, and obviously I mean photos and not, not anything else. People. Um, but, you know, if you, you know, if you're lamping or something, I suppose. Anyway... Um, yeah, the only reason why you need a, a, a convertible Land Rover is a shootout top. I can't really see any other real need for it. But uh, but back to the goal. So yeah, it's got uh, what has it got? On it? Two catalytic converters, double AdBlue injection. <laughs> it's got the double injection going on. So in other words, the the two most traditional Knox reducing technology. It's they've just doubled them, and that's it. Yeah. Well, people are allergic to diesel now, aren't they? Regardless of the fact yeah, that the might... Daily Mail told them it was bad for them, so yeah. Regardless of the fact they might do sixty thousand miles a year, they won't do it. They won't buy a diesel. What they will do is go out and buy a three thirty e or something, and never plug it in. And never plug it in, but it's cheaper on the company car tax. Much cheaper. Yeah, and actually, if you buy a diesel and you're taking it to other countries, so if you buy a diesel in France, I think you just get absolutely hammered, don't you, for the tax? Was uh, it Holland? Uh, many of the Norway, lots of the Scandinavian countries absolutely hammy you for running a diesel. Um, but then they're a lot further ahead of us when it comes to electric cars and charging infrastructure, etc. So they, they made that, that switch and that push a couple of years ago. Mm. I want to talk about something completely other end of the spectrum now because I'm... Formula One testing. That's not what I want to talk about. Well, I, I want to talk about Formula One testing. Well, so, okay, well, if we talk about what you want to talk about, then we'll talk about Formula One for a little bit. Maybe we should put a time code in here. Uh, if you want to listen to Jim talking about Formula One testing, skip ahead too. <laughs> if you want one of those books, if you want to know what happens next, turn to page six. I tried one of those once, and I said it was uh, the start of the story. You fell into the water, you sunk to the bottom, you grew gills. It was all very good. It was a dramatic opening. You then had a choice of uh, swim off and do something or swim back to the surface. So I swam to the surface and the pirate shot me. And that was the end of the story. So that was, that was a bit crap, really. So, But then, of course, you always held it, held on to the previous page just in case. And then you read the first couple of lines and thought, no, I don't like well, that. Well, probably if it was now, you would be, you'd go to the bottom of the water with your gills, whatever. You'd swim forward and get yourself stuck in one of those ring pool bits from a eight-pack can of uh, Fosters or something or other you would. beers are available. You would. And that's it, you would die. That would also be a very short book. It would. I mean, there could just be <laughs> a million ways to die in the West or whatever, just a million ways to die <laughs> in a, a multi-ending story. <laughs> right. 
So we got slightly off the subject. I think it was something neither of us wanted to talk about. What would you like to talk about? I want to talk, and this will come as a massive surprise to everybody. I would like, shall we? Okay. I would like to talk about the fact that we went to the British Motor Museum. We did. We did go to the British Motor Museum, and we had a look around, which is what you tend to do at a museum. Um, and they had a DeLorean in there, which I thought was quite interesting. But not just a DeLorean, but the Back to the Future one, which is always good. They had the Judge Dread Land Rover taxi that jobby. Was cool. I like that. But what I particularly was interested in, and this will come as no surprise to most of you, was the fact that they had the 60th anniversary of the Mini display up there. Now, they've got some quite interesting cars up there where they had a, a slight redesign. They had the, um, the ERA-era turbo Minis, which must be just absolutely ridiculous. And, the state, and I was in my element. At this point, you said, I'm going outside for a vape, and just left me to it. I did, but you, you were quite happy wandering around. I, I, was, I was happy as Larry, because uh, I quite enjoyed looking at, uh, at stuff like that. They also had some quite interesting Land Rovers in there, which un- unquestionably Andrew will be getting disproportionately excited about. But they did have one that had a four-track, which I thought was very cool. That looked purposeful. That looked zombie apocalypse ready. And it makes you, apart from the fact that they're noisy and wear at road services, you don't see many of these sort of four-track type vehicles, do you? They're old enough to be road tax exempt as well. Ooh, Mind you, point. with the state of our roads around here at the moment, actually, if you did churn the living hell out of the roads, nobody would notice anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I think it's what you need, actually, to get along the road without just disappearing into a pothole. Mm. Yeah, I think, potentially, some of the potholes are so deep that you could find yourself in another county by the time you hit it and ping off into another direction. It's ridiculous. No, is it? But some of the, they've been just so so deep that actually to, if you put one in you're talking suspension damage not just wheel yeah. and tyre damage you, you could quite easily rip a corner off the car I've bent a wheel, a wheel. One of them. I'm very sad about um, so I need to go and take a photo of it now and send it on to the council so they can never pay me for the repair oh yeah they'll ignore you for six months and then say nobody had told us about it so what are you going to do but luckily due to the uh, the road tax reform all road tax is now cheap so it's actually not too bad and interestingly enough actually if uh, if we did ever go back to basing anything on uh, on co2 talking of emissions and wltp um i saw a range of the ford new co2 figures so all of the ecoboo small engined eco cars they've run for the the last couple of years have gone up by 30 grams per kilometer which is is quite a chunk they've they've gone how from, does that happen how do you get that, that badly wrong well the, it's the test isn't it the the test was the test and the new test is the new test so your fiesta one liter EcoBoost has gone from 90 something to 120 something grams per kilometer but the good news is that the entire mustang range has dropped so the the 2.3 EcoBoost Fastback is now nearly sub 200 grams per kilometre. The V8 is obviously higher, but the V8 has also dropped by ah. 40 or 50 grams per kilometre. So, again, to save the planet, by a V8. But it does show it's the age-old thing of having a large engine and not working it that hard compared to a small engine and thrashing the monkeys off it. You're better off with a big engine. But this is useful consumer advice. So if you want to, to help Ford in their target to reducing their average CO2 emissions, go and buy a V8 Mustang. That sounds like a great idea. And probably more interesting, to be fair. I would Al- imagine so. Although, when we drove them both, the 2.3, I think, handles better. I, I like the 2.3. It's actually quite a, a nice engine to drive. A Mustang should be a V8 and the sound and whatever Oh, it has else, to be. But it, if you're it, buying one, buy a V8. This, this, is, this is the advice. The 2.3 was nice. Yeah, it just doesn't sound as good. And I drove some distance this week in a Focus ST with that 2.3 litre engine. 
which is the same as the one that um, blew up in my RS, but obviously a more reliable Sli- version. Slightly different head gasket in it, etc. Well, probably the right one in it, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's that was quite nice, quite flexible, good chassis. Hmm. Yeah, and a brilliant stereo. This is this is something that's really come on in cars. Actually, we talk about technology and we talk about. The quality of the things in there, and yeah, we always used to put the single dins in. And I was going to say, the first thing you ever did with your your first car as a teenager yeah. was six by nines, putting some some mids and tweeters and a head unit, which you can't do now because the head unit is all part of the dashboard. You take it out, the car poos itself, and won't start ever again. Yeah, it's most irritating. However, the standard stereo equipment has got really good now, isn't it? Well, it's, I think it's mainly because the car manufacturers have let audio manufacturers do it. So whether it's Harman Kardon or Bang & Olufsen or whoever, then yeah. they're, they're better at making stereos than car companies will ever be, so leave yeah. them to it. I jumped in a A8, and when you start it up, you get the little uh, tweeters rise up out the dashboard, which is just very cool. And that does sound superb. And then your machine's got a Rockford Fosgate, is it, or something? Or no, Harman Kardon. Harman Kardon in yours, yeah, which is equally sounds really good can you still buy an, you know, an Alpine Pioneer Sony whatever head unit stick in your car yes you know? you can. Well, we were looking at the Ford accessory side weren't we trying to work out bits to go in the back of a, uh, a transit van and then we worked out that pretty much all the Ford accessory site sells is wireless charging and Pioneer single din head units which was a bit this peculiar. is the Quim charging isn't it the Quim charging yes yes is it Quim no where is it Qui Chi that's oh, close. G charging. I'm G sure I've heard that before somewhere. Anyway. I have to think. Maybe I'll Google it later. And now, good news, everyone. Jim wants to talk to you about the Formula One testing, so I'm going to sit here and say yes a lot. So, I take it you watched almost none of it, in fact. I watched absolutely none of it, in fact. OK, well, it's, it, it's been a little bit more exciting and and I think whetted a bit of appetite for the uh, the season. First of all, we've got Mercedes' new trick steering system. Did you see this? I'm wet. Go on. There we go. In anticipation. So Lewis Hamilton comes out of the uh, the last corner, heading down the, the main straight at Barcelona, and obviously steering wheel normally functions in two directions. Yes. Left, left and right. And Fundamentally. F1 being F1, it's got many buttons and switches and pedals and levers on it. Yes. Uh, but just as he exited the last corner, Lewis Hamilton pulled the steering wheel and it went towards him and normally they pulled a quick release on the back so the steering wheel comes off his steering wheel didn't come off but his wheels straightened up went from toe out to almost pointing straight ahead oh my goodness yes a very clever system because what a bright spark at mercedes has worked out is that obviously the toe out angle that they put on the front of the car to enhance cornering and generate tire temperature in a straight line you don't want it as it's scrubbing the tires scrubbing off speed uh, so they've put a couple of bits and pieces in there. So you pull the steering wheel and it straightens up the wheels. Better straight line speed, better tyre cooling, I see what you mean now. Because what I'm, a system. I missed this entirely, what you just said, because I thought you were suggesting that it, it made the wheels from cornering to suddenly going straight. So how the hell is that happening? No, no, you actually mean to- the toe has yeah, changed? So toe That's out, very clever. Formula One cars run a one and a half, two degrees of toe out. And mm. by pulling the steering wheel, this straightens them back to neutral. So much better straight line speed. And then they can, as they push the steering wheel forward again, it puts the toe out back into it, ready for the corner. But of course it opens up a few different variables. Could they have it on a couple of different stops or settings so that for the first two corners they can be in setting one, then setting two, etc. So it, it gives them a, a lot of lap time advantage. But That's game changing, isn't it? That's brilliant. 
Uh, yes, only for this season. It has been banned for next season, unfortunately. Oh. What it does show is, you know, Mercedes, that they've dominated this hybrid era. Uh, they've racked up Constructors' Championship after Constructors' Championship and Drivers' Championship after Drivers' Championship. Fairly static rules for this season, big rule changes for next season, so it would have been very easy for Mercedes to take it a little bit easy over the winter, probably run into another title this season, but put all the effort into next year and, and go again. But their, their relentless pursuit of excellence and dominance is is something to be admired. And it's it's an odd one. You look at all the, you know, the rest of the team should be pushing Mercedes and, and coming up with these things. But even though they're, they're out front already, Mercedes come up with it. Or is it a red herring? Is it is it one of those things actually it's not that much of a difference but whilst everybody's spending the entire lap watching what their steering wheel's doing they're not watching what something else is doing like mm. Red Bull with the blown diffuser they stuck stickers of the exhaust pipe on the top of the side pod so it didn't look like the exhaust was coming out the back and whenever the car was stationary they got everybody to stand around the front wing <laughs> or around the front suspension so everybody was trying to look at that, but there was nothing there, and everybody just ignored the back end. So I'm not not quite sure. We'll uh, we'll have to wait and Mind see. Mind games. Uh, Ferrari have had not not a spectacular winter at all at all. If you look at the, the and winter, they're now closed. Uh, yes, and they're closed, and nobody can go anywhere because everybody ignored our useful consumer advice. Yeah, I have a feeling that this got edited out. Uh, oh yeah, it did do actually, didn't it? Yes, yeah. We, yeah there's a piece of advice which is supposedly. From the uh, World Health Organization. Yeah, not, not to not to have unprotected sex with animals. With li- live, was it live, wild or farm animals? But unprotected sex, possibly being the key. Yes, I think key too, too many words in that sentence. Yes, it should have just been don't have sex with animals. But th- yes, that's fairly standard advice anyway. Yes, I mean there are, and from an automotive point of view, you know, by all means, you can you can do the business in the back of a jaguar or a puma or a cougar or i'm just trying to think what other animals there are i was going to say in in up the up the back of a puma or no 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 no. you wouldn't want to have sex with a puma no that's risky i I suggest you you probably want a partner and be inside it the car that is yes the the panda of course is is an option i mean admittedly probably tighter i mean this is a whole different different segment altogether isn't it it would be tighter in the rear of a panda much more cuddly in the back Yes, yeah, I think you're probably right. Anyway, we've digressed from Formula One. We have. So, uh, yeah, Ferrari, if you look at Ferrari's form winter testing last year, you know, they, they won the winter testing championship and then weren't really on the pace for most of the season. Um, found a bit of performance until the FIA clarified some rules around engines, etc. And then all of a sudden they lost a lot of performance, which was a bit peculiar. Um, so I, the question is, are Ferrari sandbagging, or is is that all they've got? I mean, it's notoriously tricky to judge anything from winter testing other than reliability, which for all the teams has been fairly decent, apart from Haas. They seem to have spun off and crashed a lot. Not a surprise, Grosjean had the first accident of the season. It's quite interesting. I think it should shape up to be a reasonable season. Red Bull look a little bit more on the pace. And the Alpha, the Alpha Tauri, mm. It's a bit odd that we have two teams called Alpha, so what we'll do from now on, just to confuse things, is call them both Alpha, and then we'll have to work out which is which. Uh, but the Alpha Tauri, brand new livery, looks fantastic, it has to be said. So, nice to see a, a bit of a change from them this year. What I'd like to know is, do we think that Formula One still 
sells cars. So obviously you get manufacturers put a huge amount of money into it, a huge amount of money into it. And you get people that are really into Formula One and you said to me the other day how much the cheapest you'd paid for a ticket was and it was an outrageous amount of money. It was 170 quid or something for the cheapest ticket. Oh, the Grand Prix, British Grand Prix this year. Oh, yeah, if, if you were paying just to stand up, walk in on Sunday and stand up, it's, it's knocking on the drawer of 200 quid. I've never paid yeah. anything like that to go and watch a Grand Prix. But And here's the thing. You get, although we, we talk a lot about different motorsports and we get to go to different events, which is fantastic, you don't necessarily always get to see what the price of the ticket is to get in. No. Because we go there to cover the event, so they're generally quite happy to have you and let you come in. And when these events are packed, you don't really think about how dedicated fans are and how much it must mean to them to be able to go and and get into... And It's the same for football or something else. But at least when you go to the Grand Prix, generally you don't walk out of the Grand Prix and get your head caved in by a policeman, but... <laughs> well, generally, as a rule, yes, and I'm sure that doesn't happen at all for some sort of legal reasons. I'm sure I'm, I'm not saying anything did happen. I'm just saying what doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen when you walk out of a, a Grand Prix. Oh, that you get yes. your head caved in by a policeman. Yes, no, I've got, I've got you now. It's like when you're standing watching cars leave from an event. What doesn't happen normally is that uh, a Mustang um, it goes from being a crowd pleaser to a crowd eater, for example. Uh, yes, but that's normally the yeah the, the V8, so it damages the... Although the, it damages the environment less now than it used to, which is good. So maybe maybe they'll damage fewer people from now on. Well, if pe- more people are going to be buying them because they're green now. Mm. What does that mean? Does that mean that, that pedestrians are or are not more at risk? Probably more at risk, I would mm-hmm. say. We'll find out. If you're planning on buying a Mustang V8, yep. keep it right to us with your pedestrian tally... <laughs> every week and then we can start to track this and build up some data yes and just to clarify we strongly advise that you try not to hit anything particularly pedestrians in a mustang or any car in fact in any vehicle really yes yeah bad news i'm going to say this now and this might be controversial because actually we're on the cusp the precipice of the future of automotive I think brands are all going to band together. They're all going to share platforms. They're going to make electric stuff. There's going to be loads of technology. And to a certain extent, that is really exciting. On the other hand, it's also exceptionally boring. Now, I appreciate that us talking about the fact that something is boring is not necessarily interesting, but hear me out with this. At the moment, everything is about technology and whether you can plug your phone into it or not plug your phone into it and have your wireless quim charging or whatever. I... I think that manufacturers are more interested in making CO2 compliant crossovers, which is a problem anyway, because if you're in a crossover, it's going to be less aerodynamic than something that's on the ground. Yes. Um, so not necessarily better for the environment than anything else. And although, yes, let's face it, we know that um, we need to be greener as a country, as a world and everything else. We also know that something like planes cause more problems. And actually, if we just tilted the UK up a bit, make sure people mostly went downhill, not so much <laughs> of a problem. But I, I think that it has stifled some of the interesting and exciting stuff that we've seen, as well as created some more interesting electric, faster electric cars. I know we're at the end of an era here. We look at something like the V10 R8 we're not going to see that again, really, are we? That's going to be the end of cars like that. We see V12 cars. You think, how long is this sustainable for? For it has to be mated to 
a hybrid drive drivetrain. And we know that obviously by 2035, it it's gone. Well, I think we've had some some quite phenomenal improvements in performance of cars over the last yes. 40, 20, 30, 40 years. You know, oh, you look oh, at a, yeah. a Ferrari supercar from mid, late 80s, early 90s and yeah. compare that with the performance of the Focus ST that you drove earlier in the week. 0 to 62, just under six seconds. Yeah, which is, is mid, late 80s, early 90s supercar territory. So that side of things, yeah. I, I quite like that the performance has improved to where you can have really quite a powerful, quick exciting car for shopping trolley type money okay the the average price of a car has increased massively to the point where that focus was a list price of 32 and a bit thousand pounds which is uh, a lot for a focus it's it's a ridiculous amount for a focus i think the the problem that we've got to as you say co2 and everything's regulated um but in a way the the regulations not just from a co2 point of view but uh Euro NCAP and crash testing and things like that. And I'm not saying that, that crash safety isn't important and pedestrian safety isn't important because all those things are. And, you know, the car that I drive my family around in and you drive your family around in, you want it to be as safe as possible. Sure. But they've almost backed car designers into so much of a corner. Yeah. And uh, in the quest for lower CO2 drag coefficients and slippery aerodynamic efficiency etc they all kind of look the same shape these days they because do. that's the most aerodynamic shape yeah um going back to formula one they're very rigid in the boxes and how they're allowed to design the cars mm. and we've had static rules so they do all look the same this year's force india looks identical to last year's mercedes um <laughs> but that that's coincidence quite right too because well it's the best car on the grid so if you're gonna you know it's very easy yeah. just to draw one that looks the same and that's what they've done <laughs> but it's is it that that's kind of backed them into a corner yeah so that is what it is but like you say going back to the the platform sharing etc it used to be that in the old days uh if we go back to let's say the hot hatch battles of the early 90s so you had the Golf GTI against uh, the Peugeot 205, and they were both very different in their characters, in the way they drove, yeah. in their yeah. ride handling, their personality. You know, you could you could have covered the dashboard, blanked out the steering wheel, you could drive the pair of them, yep. and you would know instantly which yep. one you were driving. Yep. Nowadays, I think that again as you say as the the platforms um and the underpinnings start to cross over it gets harder and harder to tell uh i think ford have traditionally always been one of the ones that have stood out from that because they've done their own and their their chassis and driving dynamics have always been above anything else in its class and the class above but bearing in mind they're now teaming up with vw for more of their underpinnings are Ford's going to become less Ford-like and more VW-like to drive? Yeah, and and that's that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because if you the default um, sort of middle-class car is a Golf, you just you buy a Golf. It's reasonably good quality. It drives reasonably well. It's not particularly exciting. Hmm. If you want something more exciting to drive and arguably less well-built, you'd go for a Focus or something else or whatever. You know, as as an example, I think the problem is that now less cars are terrible because they can't afford to be lots of cars share the same platform so they drive similarly when you say terrible it's how you define terrible 
because how you or I might define a car getting worse yeah. compared to the previous generation yeah. would be in um, brake pedal feel or steering feel or slow speed, you know, damper rebound, etc. That's how we would judge a car being better or worse. You know, we judge the Car Plus as being a brilliant little car because you can get in it and drive it right at the limit straight away and it lets you know exactly what it's doing and it's a cracking little chassis and it's great fun and it makes you feel good. But that's not because it's just good to drive because it's a Fiesta underneath or whatever. It's the same for lots of small cars. So if you drive the first generation Igo, I thought was very good for this, which is the same as the C1, which is the same as the 107. Yep. You jump in one of those, you could drive it flat out and you can be doing the speed limit. And they were great. And they were great because it's more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow. I think But worse for the environment. Well as we found out. I think the problem is now with a lot of the modern stuff, it's the steering. I drove the Audi S three, back to back drove the three series. If you drive certain generations of Porsche, if you drive any kind of car, electric power steering, which is obviously more important now because it doesn't use quite so much of the engine efficiency, it just you lose the feel. Hmm. And I think it's a shame. Uh, haven't we come up with enough? In, if you're driving a hybrid, yeah. could, could you not have proper power steering back and then just one makes up for the other? It's, it, you, you lose so much. I, and I, think, I wouldn't mind one more gram per kilometre to have some steering feel back. I, 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 I think I agree with you, to be honest, because... Actually, this is why they don't feel so distinctive. And you said before, I mean, admittedly, modern cars handle so much better than older ones. If you compare, I don't know, um, to use the Ford analogy, an XR3i, which I did have some years ago, woeful power output of about 105 brake horsepower, with a Focus ST, it knocks spots off of it, doesn't it? At any speed. In fact, if you drove a cooking spec Focus and compared it to an XR3i from the 80s, it would, you know, it, it would again knock spots off. You run rings around it because they are so much, probably more powerful for a, for, for a start. They'd be 125 horsepower or something. But the handling is generally pretty brilliant. But it's the steering feel that makes it feel like everything else. Mm. And if you drive, and there are a few exceptions to this. So if you drive for something like a Renault Sport, something or other like a Megane or a Clio or whatever, you know, you feel the steering in it. And it's the same with something like a Hyundai i30N or there are cars that are very agile, but it's just just the sheer beigeness of steering in so many cars. That's why I like our little track Fiesta because you can feel exactly what the front end is doing. 100%. Through the steering, it just gives you that that feedback and that knowledge. But again, is, is that important to most people? Probably not. No, but for you and I and people that are listening to this who, let's face it, probably have some sort of interest in what they're driving or cars in general, I think it is. And I know I've, I've moaned about it before, but genuinely think we hit the peak between the years 2003 and 2008. Well, actually, just, just thinking about the steering thing, I think we can actually pinpoint when this went wrong. Was it a Fiat Panda that had that button... That Punto. just Punto, that was it. That yep. just ruined it. It almost disconnected the steering wheel from the steering, so it made it very easy to uh, to park. But yep. it just ruined the steering, and everybody seemed to like it. So is that is that when manufacturers said, "Ah, steering feel doesn't matter"? 
Because and they say because it's easy. Yeah. You know? And actually, this is something that my wife likes. She likes a car that's that's easy to drive. She likes a nice car. She likes a car that's easy to drive. And when she jumps in the mini, she's like, oh, steering's too heavy. The clutch is too heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I kind of understand. I, I like it for those reasons. I like because you actually have to drive the car. And when it comes to pointing a car down a country road, it's 163 horsepower once, so God knows what it is now. Um, so, you know, 60,000 miles down the line. Yeah. So it's now down, down to four horsepower or something. Um, but I'd rather drive that than a 310 horsepower. And again, you say about supercar speed, you know, four and a half seconds to 60 or something. It's ridiculous. But it's less entertaining to drive hmm. because you don't have to drive it. But then, of course, SUVs with a centre of gravity that's two or three foot higher than it should be and all the, the associated weight that's higher up in it than it should be, they, they don't feel as quick and you don't feel as connected. So, you know, you the don't. same speed in a... A Cougar or a, a VW Tiguan or whatever, if you're doing the same speed in a Caterham or in a Lease, it they will feel much fast. quicker in an Elise or in yeah. something like that. So much more fun. And we did a back-to-back test uh, at, whilst we were at the Motor Museum. Uh, and they all look exactly the same, so I've completely lost touch as to what it was we looked at. We looked at a Renault Capture, a Peugeot something and to be honest it was so unbelievably dull I have no interest in even looking up what it was mm. I'm temp- three something don't know anyway 2008 no it's a bit smaller I don't know anyway one of those and a Puma and a Nissan uh, joke Nissan Duke which has a little lights that make it look like it's a submarine or something see I didn't think the Duke was too bad to look at it's not pretty, but no. it's quirky. It's I think that's why people like different. it. It's different. Yeah, it's different. But then again, if you parked those all together and you covered the badges up on all of them and you said to someone, what's this car? I think you would be hard-pressed to tell the difference. Uh, you could tell what the Duke was. You could tell what the Duke, yes. But in the main, they, they, a lot of them are very similar. And actually, you probably better tell which the Peugeot is if you've ever driven one one of the new ones, because it has a very tiny steering wheel which looks like it's come off a games console. And so you can't see the dials. It completely obscures the dials, so you have and no the, idea what's being there's no doing. driving position that makes it work. Maybe that explains why, generally speaking, when you follow a Peugeot, if you're going down a country road or motorway, they're doing 40 miles an hour, and then the moment you get into a 30-mile-an-hour zone... They're doing, doing 40, 40 miles, miles an hour. hour. Yeah. Maybe we've solved this issue. Maybe we know why it is that they do that now. I, nev- I never thought get about who, it. Who told them it was... A good idea. And why have they stuck with it? I'm not sure. Well, what did Henry Ford say? If we listen to what our customers said, we'll be driving faster horses. That's true. Now we listen to what the EU says and we're all driving stuff with no steering feel. So now we've left the European Union. Is this a positive thing? Are we allowed to now have our good English steering feel back? Old-fashioned English steering feel? Well, yeah. Bring me back a sloppy steering box. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you look at Motor manufacturing in this country, uh, what have we got left? Lotus? Yeah. Although, although not, not British-owned, but still British-made. Morgan, who are also releasing a new car at the Geneva International Motor Show, or Gims? Gims. 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 Uh, so, yeah, Lotus have got steering feel. What else? But Because Brexit, Nissan no longer make anything in this country. Yeah, weirdly enough, Sunderland voted for Brexit and then were surprised when... Oh, I think we should move off of this down. subject before we get back into it. This is a slippery just, just, slope. Just chucking that out there. 
there's not so much left. But as we move into cars which are more focused around the technology and focused on their electric drivetrains, are we going to have a product which is, again, just a bit more beige? Uh, possibly, because it has the, have the mechanicals of a car got as far as they're, they're going to get. Is a manufacturer going to put too much R&D into different suspension geometries or different rear suspension layouts to, you know, you know I, I remember when the, the latest hot hatch or the latest car came out that was sporty in its credentials, it would be talking about what they'd done with the rear suspension or independent McPherson rear or a multi-link this or we've mm. put a knuckle in this or we've done whatever we've done with Z-beam. it to, to do something different. Has that got as far as it's going to get, really? I mean, the, the internal combustion engine has got as far as it's going to get, yeah, realistically, in terms of efficiency and, and performance. So, yeah, is that electric side of things? The chassis, is it just a case of tweak the dampers and the spring settings to make it ride comfortably? But actually, with technology and gizmos, you know, again, you look at early 2000s, mid-2000s ESP systems, and all they did was just slow the car down as much as they could so it would nearly stop if you yeah, were... the Mini does this. If, if you were getting a bit sideways, front end yeah. or back end, stepping out, it would just slam all the brakes on and stop the car. Yes. Nowadays, the systems allow, you know, you can select, oh, I'd like to be able to drift at 32 degrees, and you dial it up, and it lets you hang the back end out to 32 degrees, and then no more. Mm. Is it just the the clever dampers and systems and magnaride suspensions and this, that, the other that'll artificially adapt the handling to what's going on, meaning that that mechanical and that that realism of the handling is gone? Mm, I think another problem we're going to have, because we know that you can make electric cars handle, because you've got, obviously, the Porsche Taycan, which can handle uh, is a heavy heavy car the tesla the the model 3 how flat that corners and and how well it hangs on yeah I and mean, it's it's still a bit wobbly but if you and obviously we've got lotus is coming out with an an all electric supercar there's no other word for it with that sort of power avaya avaya however you're going although you might be able to make a car fast you're going to struggle with the simplify and add lightness bit aren't you yeah, there's not not much lightness you can add to a, a battery that weighs a ton, is there? But no, you can't. I mean, and, and is this also going to be a limiting factor for the future? Who knows? I can only, we can only assume that batteries will just get better, they'll get smaller, and they'll get lighter, and they'll get cheaper to make as, as time goes on. Assuming that's what the ultimate future is, and you know, at the moment it looks like everything will be electric, and there's the infrastructure problem, and everything else that everyone's always concerned about, and quite rightly so. But whether or not that's sustainable for the long-term future, whether that's just a mid-term future thing, remains to be seen. I suppose looking for beyond electric, the the ideal future would be cars may be powered by some kind of liquid fuel that you could dispense into them. But we'd almost need a, a network or a, an organisation of businesses that, that would be equipped to move and store that liquid around the country. station or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that, but able to be installed anywhere you know without having to upgrade substations and cables and things but if, yeah. if only we had that ability to install that now i mean you'd have to start again with the country you'd have to redig up and put in tanks and pumps and you know put buildings yeah. next to them with people in them that, that could press the buttons I'm, and turn the pumps on. i'm sure but, when i was a kid there used to be one of those on you know in, in your town you'd probably have several of those kind yeah, of things yeah you had a few yeah, yeah and then the supermarkets came in they sort of disappeared i've no idea why hmm 
that would kind of work. And imagine if you could use something that's relatively harmless and something that was like you say something that you get from water because we've got lots of water out there. We have got plenty, and it was just we've only got plenty at the moment. Yes, yeah, this is true. don't know, maybe in the future, but I can't I, th- I think we need to it. do some research on that, but maybe we could paint on that idea, an idea for... A car of the future? Yeah. If you have an idea for a car of the future, write to us at uh, UK Motor Talk, P.O. Box, the uh, UK Motor Talk Towers, seven, seven somewhere week, near that uh, sunny chimney pot we were chatting about at the beginning during our preamble. For those of you that are interested in the status of outside, because this podcast so far might be 38, it might be 47 minutes in, we've been here for seven hours and it's now pitch black. That's a complete lie. Um, But we have been here for a while. We've talked about the British Motor Museum and I recommend that you do go and take a look because it is quite interesting. Um, And to be honest, it showed when we had a large motor industry in the UK. And what will happen is in probably 10 years' time, we'll look back at it and there would be cars from about now. And it reminds us when we also still had a relatively sized automotive industry in the UK. But if you want to see some photos of what's inside the museum, I have taken some of those. So they are on the website. So go to www.ukmotortalk.co.uk. So we've had lots of reflective thought today, and that's unusual for us because, to be honest with you, we're quite simple individuals that just like to get into cars and drive within the speed limits, uh, but certainly briskly at certain times, in a spirited fashion. Making good progress. One thing that I, I am looking forward to this time of year is we start to get lighter evenings, which means actually you might be able to wash your car when you get home if you're interested in that. But it actually also means that you might be starting to think about waking your cars up from hibernation or in the garage, taking out stuff that's more interesting not constantly having to clean salt off of it and actually being able to get out there and enjoy driving out through the countryside or through the town if you're a bit odd, along the seafront, whatever it might be. And I'll be interested to know what some of your favourite driving roads are. So if you have a favourite driving road and you think we should visit it, write to us at PO Box, UK Motor Talk Towers, UK Motor Talk, England, the world. Or, of course, if you are modern enough to be able to download a podcast, you probably can just tweet us, which is at UK Motor Talk, or get us on Facebook if you really want to. You know where we are, UK Motor Talk. Do a Google, because uh, all other search engine providers are, of course, available. We, we will come up. We won't come up. Well, we might come up, I don't know. But UK Motor Talk will come up and we'll be there. Yeah, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. But good news, it looks like we're about to reach the end of our 40 days and 40 nights of just sheer abysmal weather sad as it may sound I'm looking forward to washing the car and it not raining within Instantly. the following two days because that just gets annoying yeah and I'm looking forward to being able to get out there and go and see what's going on down at Goodwood or working our way over to Brands and thinking about rejigging the race car and all these kind of things and actually now the cold is starting to get well I say the cold's getting a little worse I think it's going to get worse before it gets better but as we're starting to head towards the spring I feel just generally better about the world, I think. I do, I do. And on that note, it's time to end. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.